Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. Hi there. This is Jillian on Love, and I am on a mission to teach people how to completely revolutionize their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, single or heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, their breaths, and their minds. I have coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. Today's episode is how to love yourself and how to love yourself in such a way that you increase your self-worth and confidence This is a big topic, and I think that this episode applies to everyone because to be human is to struggle with our value in some way. You know, we all face the same conundrum, and that is that every single one of us will be at many times confronted with the fear that we are not enough in some way, that we are not adequate enough, that we're not pretty enough, that we're not successful enough, that we're not hot enough, that we haven't achieved enough, that we're not kind enough. And I truly believe that part of our life's work is to learn how to feel more secure in who we are and in what we want, regardless of what we've been taught, programmed, or conditioned to believe. So how would I define self-love or a healthy level, healthy amount of self-worth? I believe that Self-love is really accepting ourselves in spite of not always liking ourselves. I believe it is the ability to forgive ourselves when we have done something that we are not proud of. I believe that self-love is the absence of self-hatred when we do something that we are ashamed about. And You know, it's learning how to feel fundamentally good about who we are, even though there are parts of ourselves that if we could, we would improve or we would just not have, honestly. We are never going to go through life thinking everything about ourselves is perfect. And if we do, 
then something is wrong, actually. But if we can accept our humanness, that there are parts of ourselves that we are always going to have to work on and parts of ourselves that are just less savory, and accept that is something that we all have to face within ourselves. There's nothing unique in looking at yourself and seeing something you don't like. There is just absolutely nothing unique in that. We all look in the mirror and see something physically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally that we don't like. But if we can, in spite of that, understand and acknowledge our inherent worthiness and that we are deserving of love in spite of that, that's the name of the game. Why do we struggle? Why do any of us struggle to love ourselves in any given moment? You know, sometimes the loving ourselves, we go in and out of loving ourselves several times within a day. (laughs) You know, but why is it hard for us to accept ourselves even though we're flawed? You know, when we were young, when we were born, (laughs) we were loved by someone We were nourished by someone, otherwise we wouldn't be alive today. And as we got older, we got rewarded for certain things and punished for other things. That's just part of being a toddler and growing up. There are going to be certain things that were considered good, and then we're going to be doing certain things that were considered not good and bad. And we learn this is part of our conditioning. We learn, oh, if I'm this way, I'm good, I'm valuable, I get love, I get acknowledgement and approval from my parents. But if I'm that way, then I don't get that same approval. And if I was raised in a family where not only did I not get approval, but maybe I got the cold shoulder, right? That's where there's more trauma involved. Maybe I got the cold shoulder. Maybe I was criticized constantly. But let me tell you this. You do not have to have had a parent or both parents who treated you with any sort of emotional or physical abuse to have had the programming that being a certain way means good things. And being another way would mean bad things. Bad in quotation marks, meaning we're just not going to be loved. It's like, we can't escape that. We can't escape even passing on that programming. And then if you add to it any sort of psychological abuse of being totally abandoned for being a certain way. Well, that's a whole other can of worms, honestly. I mean, that's the trauma that so many people are facing, which is, I want to be one way, but I've been taught that I'm literally not, I'm worthless if I am that way. And so this topic of self-love can get very complicated when we talk about trauma, but I want to really try to simplify it. And that is, regardless of your 
family, and how you were raised, the fact remains that all of us have a certain level of conditioning. And it goes beyond the family. So much of our programming is cultural, societal, and familial. We are programmed, many of us, depending on where we live on the map, to believe that our worth is tied to how much money we make. Certainly that is very true in American culture, right? It's achievement, it's success. We are programmed to tie our worth to what our bodies look like, to who chooses us versus who doesn't choose us. We believe that our worth is tied to if we're married at a certain age, if we have kids or we don't have kids, if we're divorced or not divorced. So it takes a really strong sense and understanding of ourselves, a strong sense of self to combat the baseline of conditioning that we are all on some level everywhere up against. And we need that strong internal compass that is self-acceptance. Because if our self-esteem and our self-love and our self-acceptance is dependent on whether or not we get that date or how much money we make or don't make or how much achievement we've had or whether or not we've gotten married, then we set ourselves up for failure or for feeling like a failure, I should say. Because the truth of life is that everything is in constant flux. We are really not in control of anything, quote unquote, out there. Some people will not be into us. Some people will fall out of love with us. Some years are better financially than other years. And that's just the reality of it. And if our self-esteem is always based on the reality that everything is on in flux, if it's always based on what's going on out there, what someone else is giving us or not giving us, we really set ourselves up. And yet it's what we do. We say, I mean, how many people who I've worked with who said, oh, you know, they didn't call me back. That date didn't call me back. And now, you know, my self-esteem is really taking a hit. Okay, I understand your ego is a little bruised. But we have to be able to differentiate, oh, this doesn't feel so good. It's a little hit on my ego. But I'm not going to give them that power over me that says someone I barely know is determining my self-esteem because they didn't call me back. That's the pattern, the habit that we have to break. So sometimes our self-worth and confidence is negatively impacted because we've watched a parent not respect themselves by tolerating more than they really should. Sometimes there is the trauma of growing up in an alcoholic home and seeing that. So like I said, we have so much conditioning and programming that's being thrown at us from all over the place. And that's not going to change. That is part of existence. And so therefore, like I said, 
It truly is, I believe, our life's work to consistently find ways to build that internal compass of self-esteem and self-acceptance so that we can be more resilient in the face of the person who doesn't call us back, all the programming that we have that have seeped into our unconscious, that achievement or that goal that we didn't meet (laughs) and living with that disappointment, just the everyday realities of just not getting what it is that we really wanted and not giving all our value to that. So, so much of this is a conversation about internal resilience. And if we've really lost ourselves, rediscovering ourselves and learning how to put certain things in place, certain practices in place, so that we are not constantly defining ourselves based on how much money we make, how we look, our bodies, who called us back, who broke our hearts, who asked us to marry them, and so on and so on. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. The interesting thing that I have found, this was certainly true for me and for countless people who I've worked with, is that many of us have no idea truly where our self-esteem falls on the spectrum until we look at our love lives. And it can be very confusing because we could have areas of our life where we feel very good about ourselves. And that's just the reality. We could feel like really solid in our friendships, really solid in our work. We can have a tremendous amount of confidence in certain areas. And then we get into a relationship and all of a sudden it's like we completely lose ourselves. Because when love and chemistry and romance are involved, we become extremely vulnerable And in that vulnerability, we become extremely fearful. This is why trying to figure out our relationship world is where we tend to put a lot of focus because this is where a lot of us will struggle. And it's because it's where we feel most vulnerable. And so many of us, based on conditioning, have this idea, and we've been sold this lie, you know, through through art, media, books, film. We've been we have this idea that it is love or that it is being in love that will make us feel worthy, that it'll make us feel whole. It will fill in these big holes inside of us that love saves the day. And sure, Love does heal in many ways, and we certainly do not have to feel totally integrated, totally healed. You know, it's not like we have to have every hole inside of us, every void that lives inside of us completely filled in order to be in love or to be loved. We really don't. So that's a lie, too. But trust me when I say The foundation of functional relationships is self-worth. That does not mean we do not get insecure from time to time. Again, to be human is to struggle with our security and value. 
And it doesn't mean that we won't struggle just in general with our self-esteem at times. But if we do not, on a foundational level, accept ourselves and foundationally believe we are worthy of goodness and we are worthy of being treated well, the romantic experience we have will reflect that. So signs that you do not believe that you are totally worthy of reciprocated love and of being treated well and that you're worthy of having a voice inside of a relationship, a presence inside of a relationship. Signs and symptoms of that are codependency, constantly focusing on your partner and trying to fix them and heal them or be enough for them. Toxic relationships where there's a constant roller coaster. There's emotional abuse going from both ways. You're unkind to each other. There's a lot of game playing. There's a lot of blaming and lack of responsibility. An extreme fear of abandonment. So you would rather be in the wrong relationship. You would rather not speak your truth. You would rather betray yourself than lose the other. That ties into lying and concealing the truth about ourselves when we struggle with something. You know, we would rather appear to be perfect than risk losing someone else. Staying in situationships where there is unrequited love, addiction, abusive relationships. So these are all the signs that they're the clues that even though you might feel very self-assured in some ways, something needs to be addressed when it comes to the relationship with yourself because the relationship with yourself is the most important relationship. And if you don't believe that you are, like I said, foundationally worthy of having, of receiving love, of giving love, of having a voice and a presence inside of a relationship, loving yourself needs to be addressed. And here's the truth. A relationship will always show us where our work lies. It'll show us where our work is. And we will experience romantic relationships, and for many of us, work-related relationships and friendships that reveal where our confidence, self-esteem, and self-love lies. So I want to break down what loving yourself really means. I believe that self-love goes hand-in-hand with believing in ourselves. And part of learning how to believe in yourself is by doing the things that give you a greater feeling of inner certainty and security. The security of knowing that you can stand on your own two feet emotionally and financially. The security of knowing that even though none of us want to suffer heartbreak, that you will survive it. The certainty of knowing that you are not afraid to ask for help and the security of knowing that you, me, all of us, that we can 
foundationally take care of ourselves. And so learning how to believe in ourselves is cultivating these things. And I really believe that action is where it's all at. So let me just also point out things that you already do and could do that is loving yourself. Because I really believe it's in the little things. Every time you make your bed or you organize your space, you're loving yourself in that moment. Every time you say yes to new experiences, when you're used to closing yourself off and playing it safe, you are loving yourself. Every time you allow people to love you and support you and help you, you are loving yourself. Every time you step up in your relationship and check your ego at the door, you are loving yourself. Every time you forgive yourself, you are loving yourself. Every time you allow yourself to have fun when usually you are so restricted and strict, you are loving yourself. Every time you get disciplined when you normally have very little discipline, you are loving yourself. Every time you set a boundary that is really necessary, when you usually do not set that boundary, you are loving yourself. Every time you rest when you need rest, you are in fact loving yourself. Every time you fill your empty cup, you are showing yourself love. When you eat well and you hydrate, you're loving yourself. When you move your body, you are loving yourself. When you meet your needs, you are loving yourself. When you take risks, you are loving yourself. I was asked, and in fact, I've been asked this many times, which is why I'm sharing it here, how I learned to to love myself, aka how have I learned to reconcile with the parts of myself that I don't like? How have I learned to break free of the codependent, some of the codependent patterns that I have had in relationship and the low self-worth that I've had in relationships that have been intimately tied to a fear of abandonment and my attachment wounding? These are some of the steps that I've taken. They're not in any particular order They're not linear. They're just some of the things that I've done, and they are also the steps that I have taken my clients through. And some of the steps, some clients have spent more time in than than others, but these are the things. This is sort of like the code that I live by and that I teach from and coach from. So the first step, this almost is the all-encompassing step, is that I did something with my life. And I was left with no choice, and I try to empower people to get to this point so that you get to it before you are left with no choice. I mean, I was getting divorced, and my mom died, and so I had to learn how to stand on my feet emotionally and financially after the two biggest sources of love at the time of my life died. I mean, my mom died. I got a divorce. My ex-husband did not die, but that source of love did die. It went away. And I had to face myself and figure out a way to meet my needs 
more completely. I didn't know this about myself until I took a good look at myself, but I didn't realize that I relied on my partner so much for my happiness and for the relationship to meet my needs. And yes, I was able to meet certain specific needs. You know, I was able to take care of myself. But I really had to figure out a way to meet my needs for security, financial security. I really wanted to do that and to meet my needs for just feeling more certain inside myself, to feel like I can take care of myself. I am an adult. I had to learn how to meet my needs for more fun and adventure. I had to learn how to meet my needs to feel more significant in my life, to feel more connected to others, to feel like I had something to give back. I had to learn how to meet my needs more completely. I had to build a life that in a good way, preoccupied me so that it wasn't just about a relationship preoccupying me or, you know, a love interest preoccupying me. I really had to find myself because I had found myself being very lost. And so for you, that might mean you might have been in a similar position as me, really on the helm of codependent relationships and accepting less than what you deserve and not really taking full responsibility. Or you could be someone who's really just lacking some purpose in life and meaning in life. I had to figure out a way to create more meaning in my life. And you can't stop obsessing about someone. Usually that means that There needs to be more meaning in your life. So the most important step is to building your self-worth, to loving yourself, to, to building your confidence, to feeling better is to find more meaning, to not make it all about the achievement or all about the relationship, but about meeting your needs in a more complete way and figuring out what needs need to be met in a more complete way. The second thing that I did was I started to talk to myself differently. I really believe master your inner voice and you master your life. Master your inner voice and in many ways you master your relationship. And it is a constant practice of self-awareness. However, it does get easier because we're thinking thoughts all the time that are completely unconscious. But I'm telling you right now that we cannot underestimate the power of how we talk to ourselves, the power of our inner voice, and the role that it plays in how we feel about ourselves. I know you've probably heard that a lot of times before, but it really is the truth. And so I started to pay attention to how I would talk to myself, how I would put myself down. And I started to talk to myself differently. I started to be kinder to myself. I started to notice when I would say something really crummy to myself and be like, nope, I am not doing that. Literally, it was that. I am not doing that anymore. 
And I would completely, I would just eradicate that thought. I would not allow that in anymore. And then I would start to praise myself more. Oh, that was really good. Good job. I love you. And it might feel really awkward at first and really difficult. But I will say it again. Master your inner voice, which you never will. But at least aim to master it. Master your life. Three. I studied myself. And what I mean by that is I wanted to understand what my beliefs were. The origin of my beliefs. The beliefs that I had adopted from my parents that I wanted to keep and the ones that I wanted to change to reflect more of who I am. I studied and reflected upon what was really important to me. And I still reflect on that all the time because we change. What's really important to you a year ago is not necessarily what's very important to you now. I reflected on what my truth is what it means to me to be authentic. I connected with myself. For me, and this could look different for you, I spent more time with friends, particularly my girlfriends. I prioritized connection. And that was really important for me, and it was a really important path to healing for me, was to nurture important relationships. And to figure out which ones I really wanted to nurture and which ones I no longer wanted to nurture. And that's very important to even reflect on that because any time that we become more autonomous of the life that we lead, the greater our self-esteem. And the mere act of deciding to become more autonomous over our lives is an act of self-love. So it's a very worthwhile reflection. This is a doozy. I'm warning you now. I started to look at my parents differently. My mom had passed. Some of you know that I've had a very difficult relationship with my father. But whether you have a great relationship, an okay relationship with your parents, a terrible relationship with your parents, this applies. This is just what we are called to do as adults in looking at our relationship with our parents differently. And part of my growth and maturing in this area of my life was that I decided to become the wise parent because growing up with an emotionally, pathologically emotionally immature father, instead of expecting more from what he is able to offer, And then being in my sort of wounded child and being all upset about that, I decided, and this wasn't just a decision that I made and then everything changed. This is over years, just to give you some context. This is over years. And I talk more about this 
in a previous episode, how to deal with family over the holidays. And I will be talking about this more. So I describe, you know, a long process of boundaries and how many years this took. So I don't want you to think, oh, I just woke up one day and everything was fine. This has been like (laughs) deep inner work. But I'll leave you with this. When he is dysregulated or being immature, and you can relate this literally to any person in your life. You can relate this to your partner, your spouse, your sibling, your parent. When they are acting like a child, I decide to rise to my higher mind rather than my wounded inner child mind, quote unquote, and I become the parent. And I don't mean I become the parent in terms of now I'm parenting my parent. No, I become archetypically the parent, meaning it's what we always want our parents to be, composed, regulated, strong, present, non-reactive, non-combative. I had to do this to emancipate myself from the mental prison I was in of needing more, wanting more, wishing he was different, fighting him. Then it turned into, you know, strong boundaries and fight, but I was still like fighting him even when I wasn't fighting him at all. I was fighting him in my mind. And so my constant practice is, and this is something that I would take into a romantic relationship, how can I become the wisest person in the room when I am in the room with this person? And when I do, it dissipates things. I feel better about myself when I do that. I feel more empowered when I do that. I see it as an act of self-love because the other way was really causing more suffering. So if I was able to open up the key to that mental prison that I was in, isn't that just a huge act of love? And then the last thing I did was, honestly, I just got older. (laughs) And I think that this is really just... So many things happen when we get older that we don't want. Our bodies change. We get wrinkles. Certain people look at us and don't think that we're as beautiful or handsome. We are more susceptible to illness and fatigue. We get closer to dying. It's a lot of things about getting older that we, that we don't want. We don't focus enough on the benefits of getting older. There's something that happens where you just say, oh my God, I'm just so sick and tired of hating myself. I'm just like tired of my own BS. And you know, like this is it. Like we're all in the same boat trying to be enough. It's being able to be the wisest person in the room sometimes. It's being more accepting of ourselves. So part of it was just time passing and getting older. Here's what I continue to work with in myself and what I have found in the people who I work with, literally, to be the biggest obstacles to self-love. And that is stress. But what is that really? Because the really 
deep stress that impacts one's ability to feel good about themselves, to love themselves, to have a healthy amount of self-esteem and self-worth is the shoulds that exist in that person's life. Who you think you should be versus who you really are. For example, these beliefs that we have, by the time I am this age, I really should be, I really should look like, I really should have, but I'm not there. I am not that. I don't have that. So therefore, something is wrong with me. I am wrong. And this is really the stuff that causes a tremendous amount of stress. I see it all the time. I'm this age, so I should have this level of achievement, and I don't. And so that person is unconsciously trying to please mommy or trying to please daddy, even though mom and dad have no idea in many cases that they even have put this pressure on their kids. But we walk around in this sort of wounded trance of trying to be enough for our parents and for society. And yet we never get to that place because there's this internal conflict of, well, but I'm not there, or I don't want to do that with my life. But I am doing that with my life because that's what's expected of me. So I'm super, super stressed out because I have this internal conflict that I've been suppressing more and more. And I wonder why I feel so dysregulated and why I hate myself. And so much of this is having to hire someone or read that book or do whatever it is that you need, invest in yourself so that you can unpack some of the shoulds in your life that are working against you. The blueprint that you have about where your life should be. Oh, I'm 25 and I should be married with kids already and I'm not. So therefore something is wrong with me. This is the kind of stress that destroys people. And it's a complete hypnosis. But I understand that it's very real. You might be living in an area where that's frowned upon. I mean, it takes so much to build that internal compass so that we are not constantly swayed by the shoulds and the should nots. And then another thing that really adds to the deep stress is shame. But shame is an interesting thing. Because there's a lot of talk out there about how shame is just terrible. Shame is the lowest state of consciousness. And, I, you know, I don't see it so black and white. There's a lot of benefit to shame. So what I mean by that is psychopaths are unable to experience shame. So the fact that we can experience shame makes us civilized people. I mean, there's a reason why you wouldn't go in the middle of the street and go to the bathroom in front of everyone. That would be, quote unquote, completely shameful and uncivilized, right? So shame, the ability to experience shame makes it so that we can actually live in the world and function with other people. And if we 
do something that we know deep down inside was not good. It was not kind. It was not helpful. It w- it actually goes against what it is that we value. If we don't experience a little shame, then we have no moral compass. And if we have no moral compass, we're a psychopath. But that being said, so many of us, countless of us, are walking around feeling ashamed over things that are so not shameful, right? We all have these rules about how we should live, right? And there are certain rules that are good. Don't go in the middle of the street. Don't go into a restaurant or in the middle of the street and just go to the bathroom there. You know, I'm using a very extreme example, but there are certain things that we have certain roles that are good. Treat people with respect. Treat people with kindness. Treat animals with respect and kindness. These are certain rules to live by that are important. But so many of us are walking around with these rules like never make a mistake at work. And if you do, you're a failure and you're, you should be ashamed of yourself. Never make a mistake in a partner that who you choose. I mean, never, never say the wrong thing. Never, like I said, never make a mistake. And we're all walking around carrying the shame. Sometimes we're carrying the shame over things that people did to us, you know, and then it gets really complicated. People were abusive to us and then we carry that shame, right? That's the kind of shame that destroys us and it needs to go away. Feeling ashamed because you made a small mistake that you totally owned up to and totally regretted, but yet days, weeks, months later, you're still ashamed because you can't forgive yourself about that. Because there maybe there's this perfectionism that if you do anything wrong, you are an inadequate person. This is the kind of stuff that causes so much stress that is the ultimate obstacle to loving oneself. And we have to be able to forgive ourselves. We all do things that we're not proud of. If you have been a victim of some sort of abuse, you need to get help so that you can free yourself from feeling like you deserve that in any way. That's, again, trauma like that gets really, really complicated. And all I can say to that is work with someone who can help you. You deserve that. You need that. And so it takes a lot of immense courage to be able to say to ourselves, I'm going to stop with the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. I'm going to just remove that from my vocabulary. And I'm going to start living my life based on the beliefs that I have, my truth, what I really need. And it's not an overnight thing. And you have to approach it with a lot of curiosity. Oh, I'm really stressed out. Maybe that could mean because I did not eat well, I did not exercise, I haven't rested, so I have to make sure that I have all these practices in place so that I can fill my cup. Or maybe that deep 
stress to the point where my nervous system is completely unregulated is because I'm trying to live a life that really is not the life I want to lead. It's the life that my parents want. It's the life that society wanted. It's the life that the pressure that I, let's not blame everyone else. It's the pressure that I put on myself to be a certain way. And these are the things that we have to approach within our psychology with curiosity so that we can remove the layers that are covering our ability or preventing our ability to love ourselves more. So I want to leave you with some things that you can do starting today to create a state of inner security and confidence. Because that's so important. Because that's really something that we, you can do every day. It helps with the self-love. It gets us into much more empowered states that every single person is capable of. You know, sometimes we have to do this really intense self-study. Sometimes we have to go into therapy. But then sometimes all that self-study and therapy just keeps us in analysis paralysis and we're not actually taking action and then you're and then you feel disempowered when really the ability to feel better can be at our fingertips every single day to feel more empowered these are the things to start doing today and that is do more things that make you feel alive that are positive Take those positive risks, not the risks that are going to harm you or harm your relationships. You know, maybe it's dancing. (laughs) Maybe it's booking that trip. Maybe it's saying yes to things that you usually say no to. But you've got to allow yourself to do the things that make you feel more connected to yourself and others. You have to prioritize that. Two, your physiology. Let me tell you, after many, many years, how many years has it been? It's been 23 years almost of practicing yoga. And I taught it for close to 18 years or something like that, 19 years. Trust me when I tell you that how we feel about ourselves is reflected in our bodies and By changing the way we hold ourselves structurally changes the way we feel. So your sternum, which is like your chest, bony chest area, your shoulders, your neck, your belly, your low back, all these things are going to take a hit when you're constantly living in your head, stressing out, worrying, negative self-talk. But if you can move your body, deepen your breath so that your sternum can lift off of your diaphragm, because usually when we're like all in our head, we're rounded forward and our brain and our head goes forward, our sternum bone, the chest plate drops down into the diaphragm, which makes our breathing shallow, which makes our blood flow not as, and our lymphatic flow not as, not as strong. All that. When you deepen your breath, when you lift your chest, when you move your body, it creates more confidence. Choose to do something with your body. Learn to swim. Do trapeze. Go outside of your comfort zone. Breathe and feel the emotions that are burrowed beneath your shame and guilt. Work with music. It's really important. It's crucial. 
Three, get extremely acquainted with yourself. Like I said, your beliefs, your values. What do you value at a core level? What do you value more? What do you want to value more? What kind of life do you want to leave? What are your beliefs about money, about love? How are some of the beliefs that you adopted from your family, how are they in conflict with what it is that you really believe now or what it is that you really want? That said, what are the beliefs of your parents and your community, but they're not actually yours? What and where is this discrepancy between what you want and what you believe? So get acquainted with yourself. Four, not easy, but make peace with the part of you you don't like doesn't mean that you don't stop working on yourself. It's not, you don't then say, this is just how I am. No, you say, okay, this is a part that I need to work on. But there are certain things that may never really fully improve. And are you okay with that? Sometimes you also have to understand the origin of these parts of yourself that you don't like. You know, the things that we work on ourselves about our the things that we do to work on ourselves is understanding who's in charge when we're triggered in a relationship. Is it you, like when you're five? Is it you when you're 14? You know, whatever relationship. And then really learning how to bring, you know, the wise parent into that room and to work on those triggers and to be responsible for your triggers in a relationship, right? Relationship shows us where our work is, and that's a big part of it. But there's just going to be certain things about yourself physically, mentally, emotionally that you're like, oh, I wish it was different. And you just have to accept it. Number five, celebrate your wins. One of the biggest obstacles that I in addition to the shoulds and the should nots and the shame to self-worth is constantly focusing on where you can be better and not balancing that with celebrating your accomplishments and your wins and small ones. Six, self-care. Taking care of yourself emotionally is a huge self-esteem boost. Because you no longer rely on anything or anyone to do that for you. You learn how to feed yourself. Seven, courage. Break whatever addiction you have to certainty, to routine. Make the changes you need to make. The paradox is that low self worth will keep you inside a very small box, fearful of leaving the nest and leaving that box. But facing your fear is what raises it. And so it's courage. And then lastly, contribute. Get out of your head and give to something or someone or some people Whatever it is, a cause, give to someone or something outside of yourself. Don't make everything all about you. And we tend to just do that. And we tend to do that when we do the inner work because we get so, so, so self-focused. 
But so much of our fulfillment in life comes from giving to someone or something else. So figure out what that is for you. And it does not have to be huge. It can be small. It could be small things every day. But I guarantee you, you will feel better about yourself when you do it. Okay, this episode was about how to love yourself and really just how to believe in yourself. And I would say just take in what resonates most with you and just start with whatever it is that I suggested. Start with one thing that really struck a chord for you. Maybe it's the self-talk. Maybe it's starting that project. Maybe it's starting to meet your needs better. Start in baby steps, but start right away. And please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have a friend or anyone you know who could benefit from this episode, please share it with them. So many of us struggle with how we feel about ourselves. Even the people who seem so on top of their game, there is a silent struggle that I think lives in all of us with this. And you never know whose life you could be changing. And if you have any questions or you have any suggestions in terms of a request, I should say, for episodes, I always want to hear, contact us at hello at jillianonlove.com. And as always, I thank you for listening. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Countshouse, edited in music by Will Tendy. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.